Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season-long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. back everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip episode 67. We're going to talk about our current uh, Battle of the Podcast Leagues. Lots of fun there. We are currently in round 32 or down to the one minute clock instead of the two minute clock. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric and my co-host as always on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how we doing man? Uh, we're doing pretty pretty well Bubba. Um, you know it's been a exciting Exciting couple weeks as a uh, as a diehard Padres fan um, for many years, dating back to I don't know the '80s probably. Um, very exciting, you know, few weeks for me, especially with my boy Joey Musgrove going there. But as you can tell by um, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can't tell, but I'm wearing a Padres hat and a Blue Jays hat because I'm actually struggling to decide which team to root for this year. I mean. I've made, as somebody who um, has committed my life to fantasy baseball, I no longer really root for a single team. I think my heart kind of rests with the Mariners a little bit, like in real life. But I've decided that I'm just going to buy the hats of teams that compete, you know, that like spend money in free agency. So, I mean, the Padres, the Blue Jays are great. Thinking about getting some other hats maybe too. So, Everybody needs to help convince me which which fan base fan uh, fan base to really go with this year. So well, on, we'll see that, how it goes. On that criteria, you got to go to the White Sox. Then they they've been the most I, the third most active team. Yeah, but they also got Tony Larusa. 
I was going to get a White Sox hat. I had the the hat. Well, there's a couple options for the for the White Sox hats, but um, yeah, I, I will probably get a White Sox hat too as well. Um, you know, so so uh, yeah, so we'll see. But it's good. It all is good. You know, m- moves are starting to happen, which is exciting. Obviously, the fantasy impact of those moves is is also really exciting. Cracking some jokes on Vlad Jr. on Twitter. You know, it's just it's a good day today. It's a good day today. Um, yes. How about you, Bubba? How are you doing? I am doing well. Just another uh, great day. Um, drafting and Toby bursting my my rowdy Tullus bubble right before we recorded, but I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm holding I'm holding out hope there, holding out hope that that continues because uh, that's going to sting. But uh, we'll 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 talk more about stuff like that when we recap this battle of the podcast uh, league and the quick run through. I will give everybody before we actually get into this. It's uh, 15 teams. It's I, I want to say 13 podcasts, maybe 14, because there's a couple of duplicates. Like, I know like, you and I share a show, but we have our own teams. Um, there might be actually individuals on all the other ones, so that's good. But uh, 15 teams, draft champions format, 50 rounds. We're in round 31. It's uh, it's pretty chaotic, to say the least. Um, the term, go get your guy, started really early, Toby. So what were some of your like early thoughts, I guess, before we even really got cracking in the draft, like what did you think of the overall uh, league? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, first of all, thanks to, to Zach uh, Waxman um, of the D, uh, of the uh, draft, champagne. Uh, draft, champagne. Champagne, draft champagne. I know I always it's always like hard to say draft champagne um, podcast. I really appreciate him pulling it together. We had a league last year as well. Common Sense Fantasy. Uh, Drew Morris won that league, I believe. Um, so it was, it was, it's, I think it's fun. I mean, it's always fun when you have kind of themed leagues, you know, where, where, you know, you know, a lot of the guys who are in the league, you know, some of their drafting styles, either from being in drafts with them or from just, you know, following them on Twitter and knowing who they're, who they're interested in. Um, and so that, that piece of it is fun, but I think it's also, it's nice because I think it sets a little bit of the groundwork as we get closer to March. You know, I think the board that we saw this time around, um, I think it's pretty similar to what we, we are likely to see as we get closer to March, at least in NFBC drafts, where pitching is at a premium. And so I really found it actually an incredibly helpful draft as we've gone through it to kind of think through a variety of different issues from KDS to just roster construction. So it's been it's been really fun. One thing that makes it a little different, which I actually didn't think about right at the get go, but I picked up on pretty quickly is it is a DC. It is a draft champions, 50 team or 50 player draft and hold, but it's not part of the overall competition because there's a different, it's just a $50 league, uh, $50 buy-in. So it's actually not part of the overall, which I think is important as you think about the teams and strengths and weaknesses and how balanced you need to be in different categories. Yeah, no, that's one thing I guess it helped me because I, this A is my first ever draft champions league and B I don't, playing tons of overall competitions. So um, I think that helped me a bit because there are a few teams in this league that uh, the jokes could make the, the people would could pay for the, the, the DM, the the draft DM we have. Um, I can't keep up with it. I don't think Toby can keep up with it, but there's guys in there going like 24 um, seven. Mm-hmm. And what I do catch is very entertaining and very knowledgeable stuff. But um there's some of them, the, the trash talking is at a peak level, very peak level. So there are, are apparently a couple of teams that are just going for the overall, like Matt Williams, that that's a common trend going his direction. But um, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. 
a little more balanced makes a little more sense to me at least. So we'll see how yeah. that uh, how that pans out. Definitely, yeah. The chat has been something else. I've been just been dropping in occasionally just to drop some, you know, drop some not truth bombs, but just uh, you know, enter into the fray for a little bit and then then hop right out so my emotions aren't hurt too badly. It is a wild wild west in there. So if you if you if you have thin skinned, it's probably not the best place to hang out. Let's put it that way. But uh, the other thing I will mention from that chat that's pretty cool to see is um, I always call him Jorge. It's George Montanez, but. Uh, He's uh, with uh, Mike Curlin on the Bases Loaded podcast, and um, he's he's picking second, and he's quote unquote sniping people left and right, mainly Dave McDonald, which is fun to snipe because he's the most vocal about it. Um, but apparently, Jorge is just crushing this draft, according to these guys. So I'm curious to see how that pans out. That's for sure. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of sharp folks um, in the industry, so. It's been um, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, uh, one more thing before we get into our deal, our, our our teams, it is fun because, like you said, you either read these guys, you've talked to these guys, you've listened to these guys, so you kind of know how they're going to draft. Like you have Eric Cross, he he's got his young guys, like that you expect that one to come. Simeon, he he's got his guys. Um, you got the the Rotosaurus guys doing their thing. There's a couple curveballs here and there, like you know Mason's always a, a wild card. But uh, for the most part, now that we've been drafting with him and then I've seen his boards and his other drafts, he's got a trend that I'm starting to pick up on. Matty Williams, he has his guys. Like, this is almost, or not Matty Williams, Matty Davis. It's almost identical to the Barf draft. The way he's got certain guys he has circles, you know he's going to get them all of a sudden. So it's kind of fun. It's fun to see it. But uh, there are definite curveballs that we will get into here as we break it down. All right. You had pick 14, I had pick 12. Now, this is a professional podcast, so I'm going to ask you now. Do we just want to go round by round? Do we just want to give overall thoughts of chunks of picks? How would you like to go about going over 30 picks? Because if we go pick by pick, we'll be here the entire evening. <laughs> Let's go two picks by two picks. Like just kind of what we were thinking with each each turn, because we're both kind of towards the end of the draft, you picking 12, me picking 14. So we kind of, I think in a lot of ways, when you're drafting like that, you kind of got to pick them two at a time because chances are, you know, um, you know, you got to you you got to get you got to quote unquote get your guys um, at each one of your picks. So let's think through kind of just strategy and things that we're thinking. I'm curious, you know, for you, wh- where uh, where did 12 rank in your KDS? It was my ninth. Um, I think I talked about it on last week's show, or it might have been a different show. My KDS right now it's one, two, three, four, five, and then it goes backwards from 15 mm-hmm. all the way down to six. So I either want like the top picks or really to try to get one of those ace ace pitchers. Or put me in the back. So 12 is not my ideal pick. It's not the end of the world. Um, and it, it left me with the guy, one of the guys I love. I loved him more when the Indians weren't cheapskates. But I did land Jose Ramirez. I was kind of I was kind of surprised that uh, one of the shortstops didn't make it there. I, I could have went Lindor, but I'm not really feeling that. The The decision for me there was between J-Ram and Giolito. Like, those were the two I was looking at. And, of course, like, literally, Rob DiPietro – from the Pulitzer oh, podcast, he, worst, he? he has taken so many picks right after I take them. Go so part of it's like okay, it's justification. At least I was on the right path, but it's like okay, maybe if you know, because I don't know who you're going to take, but I have like ideas of your bubble of what you're going to go for. So I'm kind of like okay, I might have might have a shot to go past Toby, but Rob just snipes everything I, I think of pretty much. So Julie, I was hoping would come back, or I was going to take him at twelve. 
I took JRAM, Giolito went. But it was it was a run of pitchers. Giolito, Darvish, uh, Bueller, Nola, Bauer. Those five went the next six picks. So I landed Castillo, who in other drafts I've been doing, if I'm picking like fourth or fifth, I've been getting Castillo everywhere in the second round. Now I got him at 12.4, so uh, or 2.4. So it was a very interesting uh, scenario, but I had to get one of the big pitchers because, as you'll hear, I, if I would have waited until round three for my first pitcher, I'm drafting the likes of Snell, Lynn, Gray as my number one. Don't love that. So J-Ram, Castillo, that's where I went. I got a bat I like, five-category guy. We've talked about him in depth on this show many times. Uh, it does stink that the team's getting worse around him. He's still going to get all of them at bats. He's still going to hit in the middle of the order. I think if the team's even worse, there's zero reason not to let him run. So that might actually help him a little bit if I'm looking for any kind of grain of salt there. But it was just like the bats at that point, he's still the best bat for me. And it was either between him and Giolito. Part of me thinks I should have took Giolito and maybe taken a chance on a Mondesi or Lindor the next time around. But, hey, we got J-Ram. We got Luis Castillo. I don't hate the start. So what about you? Definitely. Yeah, well, I think one thing that's super interesting that you pointed out is I think Giolito is a guy on the rise. It's hard. It's funny to say that. Like, and I know I think we've mentioned this on podcast before, but I really see by the time March rolls around, I think he's going to be firmly entrenched as the number four um, pitcher. And I was actually hoping to get Giolito at 14 Uh, prior to this draft in the draft champions. The earliest that Giolito had gone was 14. And so Rob DiPietro, who has also been a thorn in my side throughout the draft, uh, you're not alone there. Um, he, he drafted Giolito at 13. I went Darvish at 14. You know, Darvish had been my, my number four, but I just, I don't know. The, I just think that Giolito, it's hard to poke holes in what Giolito has been able to do in the last year and a half. And so, um, and I think the strikeout numbers could be, could be phenomenal. I think the division is is um, is is better, and obviously I'm not weighing these things a lot. But I think when you're kind of tied on two guys, I think um, it, it's reason to um, to maybe lean one direction or the other. So I was actually hoping to get Giolito, but not bummed out to get Darvish. I know folks have questions about injury around Darvish. Obviously, he's been healthy the last um, year and a half, and he's been very good for the last year. I think the cutter is really a game changer, and when you look at his repertoire, it's deep. Um, and every pitch, you know, generates a, a good amount of swings and misses. The velo's there. Everything that you want in a starting pitcher is in a good situation. So I felt good about Darvish, although I did want to start with with Giolito. Um, and then going around, I definitely wanted to do pocket aces. I think I've talked before on the show before how I'm, I'm I lean more heavily towards pocket aces when I'm drafting towards the back end. Um, and with my KDS, this was actually I think my sixth. I think I started off like with five, six. And then I went four, three, two, one, or something like that, because I really want to get one of those three studs. I'd prefer to get Garrett Cole or Jacob deGrom. But, um, and then Nola, I don't have any, um, I don't have Nola on any teams. And so I kind of leaned him, um, although, you know, Bueller would have been the only guy that I was probably considering here too. I do like Nola a lot. You know, he doesn't have the fastball maybe that other guys have, but with the pitch mix change that we've talked about, the curveball, and the changeup and just the heavy usage of both of those pitches generates a ton of ground balls, always among the league leaders, um, you know, in terms of like both CSW and um, hit, hit the percent of pitches that are balls, you know, so two of the leading indicators for both strikeouts and, and, and control. I really like that start as well. 
Um, and I really like when you're drafting towards the end there, you really have the opportunity to get some very good hitters um, coming back around. And so with that, you know, I'll turn it over to you for your, for your number three and number four picks. Yeah, it was just wild. Like I knew pitching would go quick, but uh, that, that turn pretty much shows you everything you need to see. And then, you know, one, two, three, four, six, eight more guys go after Castillo. It's, it was pretty wild. But my three, four, I finally have a share of Eloy Jimenez. I honestly, in this chat room or in this draft room, I know how much Eloy is loved by this chat, this draft room. I was shocked he made it back to me. I, I really, really was. I figured, nah, whatever. When I saw him there, as one of the quicker picks I've made the entire draft. I was like, oh, okay, I will take that in two seconds. Let's go. Um, I, we don't have to elaborate on him too much. We talked about him in the outfield preview. The power, um, pretty decent average for a big guy that's in the middle of the order. A great lineup to be in. Like, there's, He's not going to steal a ton of bags, but I tried to address that later in my draft. So uh, what Eli brings to the table, I'm all aboard there. And um, coming on the wraparound for my fourth pick, I got my second pitcher, who's a guy I've been targeting quite a bit. And it'll be interesting. It's Sonny Gray. And I love Sonny Gray. It's going to be interesting. Does Sonny or Luis Castillo get traded? Which one of the two? Or do I have two reds? Like Great American Small Park, two to three times a week. That's going to be exciting. But um, Sonny Gray, I, I just love what he's doing there in Cincinnati. He's got his, his pitching guy. Um, strikeouts are there. Ratios are there. I think with Castillo and Gray, for not getting – Two pitchers, and like say the like pocket aces in the first two, but getting two guys in the first four, pretty happy with the way that panned out. So, uh, Eloy and Gray. So I have uh, two bats, two two uh, arms through four. And I think it's got a pretty solid base to what I need to go with my team. So I was actually pretty happy with that three four turn that I did not think was going to happen that way. Definitely, and some some interesting, you know, some other interesting trends just to that I noticed is. I think this is the year that kind of JTR, JT Realmuto's price is going to reflect pretty close to to what, you know, how, how good he really is. Because I'm starting to see him right there at the 2-3 turn, so right around pick 30. Barely after that, in our draft, he went at 28 um, to Drew Morris, who also had him last year, uh, I think, when he, when he won. So that's really interesting to me, as well as Rafael Devers. I think the early season discount has pretty much disappeared on him. And I've started to see him going earlier on in the, in the third round as well, which is fascinating just because I think, you know, the guys that kind of get pushed further down. One thing I do think is kind of a challenge when you're drafting towards the turn there. Um, you know, so in my in, in, with my third pick, I picked up Whit Merrifield, who I do like a lot. I was down on him last year for sure. You know, the price was driven up based on the previous season. And I just wasn't sure if the speed was going to return, but it, 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 it returned in abundance last year. And so I'm less concerned about that. You know, there's no concerns around Matheny not running him. I just think that's part of that team's identity now. And we didn't see, we didn't see a drop off there. The contact skills remained in place. So you're talking about a, an elite batting average, elite stolen bases, and then, you know, you should get a decent number of runs coming from him. The RBIs and the home runs aren't necessarily going to be great. But one of the things around this three, four turn, I think is there is while I think there's a lot of really good hitters, you know, a lot of the guys that go um, traditionally, right? So normally around here, based on ADP, you're looking at Devers, you're looking at Arenado, you're looking at Bogarts, uh, you're looking at Rendon, Jimenez, uh, Bregman, guys like that, Abreu, Albies. So, um, you know, there isn't a ton of speed necessarily there. There's some really good hitters. 
but not necessarily speed. So I was I was glad to get Merrifield. I was thinking about going uh, starting out with Wit and then going with Starling Marte, but he went on the turn. So Alex Bregman fell to me, which I'm I'm always super happy to get there. Obviously, doesn't bring the speed, but the batting average is there. I think this past year was a fluke, and so pretty happy through four. Just have really solid offensive guys, a pretty balanced approach uh, in general, uh, and then I've got my two aces as well. Um, what did you feel about your your picks five and six? I like the point you made about the steals, and that's kind of I think drives back the point. If you're not going pocket aces early, that's why I think I went with a J Ram over the Giolito at that time. Going okay. Worst comes to worst, I got a 20 to 25 stolen base guy here, and he should still hit for, like, decent power and whatnot because um, there is that gap of speed unless you go and take Alberto Mondesi, but now he's up to the middle of the second round in our draft, so he's not going to be in the round three anymore and stuff like that. So you'll get your your speed guys later, like we'll talk about, but to get that kind of elite five-category guy, you need to get him early. Otherwise, you get really good four-category guys. There's no doubt about that, like Eloy. But uh, – yeah, J-Ram, I think it kind of helps justify my thought process there. But for 5-6, like you mentioned, um, still just more pitchers flying off the board. we got a couple closers, or, or at least uh, Chapman's off the board now. The first closer goes in the middle of round five. Uh, Yoan Moncada is up to middle of round five now. I don't know if that was, uh, quote-unquote, you know, experts draft because we've seen a lot of guys starting to write about the uh, price tag on Moncada being wrong, but – that stinks for a guy like me that's been pounding that table for a long time because now I'm going to have to actually pony up instead of enjoy the discount there. But for my 5-6, we talked about it on the shortstop podcast. It's like shortstop super deep, but you get to a certain spot and you're like, I need one of these guys. So I grabbed Javi Baez. Um, it was that. It was like that or Prey Swanson gets back to me in 7-8, which he wouldn't have. He went in 6. Or it's roll the dice and go to Simeon. But it was already at the point in round five where you were getting sniped left and right, which technically you could have had the pick by then. But it's one of those where you're looking at you're not, you know, succumb to ADP, but you're using it kind of as a reference. And you got guys getting jumped pretty high. So I jumped on Javi Baez. I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in the uh, the bounce back ability. You know, five category contributors stills aren't as great as they once were, but they're still there. I think we've both agreed the Cubs will be much better than they were last year. That was just a bad, bad season. So. I went and got Javi to, to give me my third bat and another pretty close to five category guy. And then on my sixth pick, I got my third pitcher. And I'm a big Zach Wheeler fan. I know there's controversy with Zach Wheeler um, in the industry. What I wanted was Dylan Bundy, but he went on the turn to to, um, to Govier. He went, he went early too. Yeah, I figured I, mean, I compared to where he goes traditionally in ADP. That's kind of where I was like thinking, okay, he'll come back to me. That that was the whole thing where. All of a sudden, I'm starting to be like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to start taking guys. Like, this is ridiculous because I haven't seen a draft where Bunny's gone that high. But um, so I went with Wheeler because after Wheeler, it's like Jesus Lazardo, which we've talked about the concerns there. Sandy Alcantara is cool, but like strikeout upside with Wheeler is there. Like, I can get, I can't get the overall package of Alcantara, but I can get lower strikeout guys that can eat up innings later. Um, it was just a weird dynamic. Yes, Ian Anderson, Julio Urias, Zach Greinke. So Wheeler stands out to me. He's like, I want to get that guy as my third pitcher. So um, I didn't get three and five rounds. I got three and six rounds. And I'm totally fine with that. Um, I've seen some guys actually start doing drafts with not taking a lot of pitching early at all. And I'm starting to be okay with it if if you're aggressive to get the other pitchers you need. But uh, I'm not always that aggressive. So this strategy works for me. So Baez and Wheeler, 
give me my five, six, three pitchers, three bats. You're going to, there's a trend. Uh, Toby used it in his uh, team uh, example. I, I go balanced. Uh, that's most of my team. I, I, I may never be built to win an overall title. Let's just put it that way. Cause I, I I'm not that kind of aggressive drafter, but uh, through six, that's where I stand. What about your next two picks? Yeah, so I think this is where it got it gets really interesting for me because I think I would I really liked drafting towards the back end of the draft because you know coming into so we're now into rounds five and five and six. And you know, I really like drafting my third starting pitcher like in round seven and eight or so. Um, because generally speaking, around pick 105, there are a number of really solid folks. If you go by ADP. You know, you have Zach Granke, you have Pablo Lopez, even Dylan Bundy. He's going by ADP a little bit earlier than that right now. But, um, but you know, I have seen him fall that far and I've gotten him around there. But with starting pitching being moved up so, so dramatically um, in this draft, all of those guys went before pick 105. And even the guys who go uh, after those guys um, also got pushed up a little bit. And so it was interesting because at that at that five six pick, you know, I was thinking like, you know, I, I kind of wanted to I wanted to take a chance and see if a Zach Granke or you know a Dylan Bundy or somebody like that would have made it made it back to me. But um, and so I went with Salvador Perez. I think another great you know example of catchers being underrated. Um, Perez has been solid throughout his career. The batting average hasn't been what it has been you know, what, what it was last year. And I don't anticipate that it's going to be as good, but for a catcher, you know, it's still well above league average. The power's always been there. Uh, the RBI have always been there. Um, and I think they'll continue to be there sitting batting in the middle of the lineup with those guys stealing bases in front of him. And so the runs, you know, they're probably not going to be, um, they're not going to be that great, but I think for a catcher, I feel really good about him being my, uh, being my catcher one. So I was excited to see him, him fall here, but it's not, it's not a great part of the draft in the sense that the guys that I like, I feel like I'm not necessarily getting the same, uh, you know, uh, value that I do later on, later getting them on. I know there's a lot of conversations about the word value, but in terms of what, what the cost is that I have them worth versus, or the price I have them worth, you know, versus, you know, where they're going in the draft, you know, for instance, Jeff McNeil goes at the five, six turn right there. And I don't mind that pick at all because I think batting average is, is, is king. And McNeil, especially if he bats towards the front end of that lineup, I think he's going to do really well for himself. But he's also a guy that, you know, that goes, you know, from an ADP's perspective in like, you know, early, early 90s, mid 90s. And I'd much rather grab him kind of there than have to, you know, pick him earlier on because you really do. While it's like, of course, you're going to pick the guy that you like the most. And ADP is just a guide. It it doesn't feel as good drafting them, you know, early on. But I was excited that Glaber Torres made it to me. Surprisingly, I have him on a bunch of teams this year. He just seems like one of those guys that um, that drops, you know. And, and I don't know whether it's a consistent ADP theme or not. But I'm really excited to get him there. One thing that I'm trying to focus on a little bit more early on in drafts. I think I've been hyper focused on batting average and stolen bases in the past which I think is important. Oops, I've lost my earpiece here. I think that's really important, but I also think that I maybe in, in prioritizing those pieces in previous drafts, I've taken a, maybe a little bit too risky of players in this portion of the draft. 
And so getting a guy in Torres, who I think, you know, was clearly injured and not himself last year, still very young in the relative middle of that Yankees lineup. I think he's going to be, have a high batting average. I think he's going to um, hit for home runs. He's going to hit for power. He's going to get runs in RBI. And then the steals, you know, he's projected for five or six, which, which is fine. You know, it's not necessarily actively hurting me the same way that Perez's zero is. And so I don't mind doing that because I really do think there are some nice speed threats, you know, from picks 100, uh, 160, 170 uh, that, that can help fill some, some speed needs for folks. So that's kind of how I felt um, going through six. I felt really good about the draft. I feel like each one of my picks um, felt solidly as part of a, fan, of a plan and, and felt pretty stable. Although I do think that, you know, in the next piece of the draft is really where I really started to rethink kind of KDS and my KDS strategy and thinking about where guys may go in subsequent drafts. And as we get closer to March and starting pitching and relief pitchers push up, you know, um, whether I really like being in this part of the draft as much as I do earlier on in the draft. So, um, but that's kind of how I felt. I felt really good after those first six rounds. How about you? Yeah. A couple of things you mentioned there. Um, catchers. I was actually surprised how kind of gentle the drafting on catchers was for a while. I figured they'd two catchers in a DC format might get pushed up a little more. No, it did not. That was good to see. Um, and then, the relief pitchers, it was weird. Like some, like the for sure guys went early. Then it's kind of like a, a waiting pattern right now. So, like when the Kirby Yates news hit, he got picked like immediately. So it's it's been a weird, weird go. But we'll talk about that in a minute because that affects my team. Um, rounds seven and eight now. Now we got one of Bubba's team Bubba picks here. Tommy Fam joins the club. I'm always a Tommy Fam guy. Um, you know, I, I keep preaching. Tommy Pham over Trent Grisham. He's 40 picks later. He was 42 picks later in this draft. Nothing against Trent Grisham, but very similar production, if not better, potentially a lot later in the draft. That's the way I view it, at least. Uh, So Tommy Pham giving me another speed guy. And this is, again, why when I took uh, Eloy, I was not worried. Um, I I have a few guys that I, I, I like to target for the speed later, and Tommy Pham is one of them I've circled in a lot of drafts. So I grabbed him, literally could have 20 20 upside. If things click, you know, there are injury concerns. I'm not going to deny that. But in that San Diego lineup, if they keep hitting them second, that's going to be a force there. So big fan of him. And then uh, I went and grabbed my first catcher in uh, the round eight spot. Like you took the second catcher off the board. And then on the turn, Will Smith and Wilson Contreras went in two of the next three picks. So I'm sitting there looking at this going, okay, draft champions. There's no, there's no fab. You need to start at least two. You probably need to carry four to five. That's been a discussion of late. You probably four at least to feel comfortable. And I'm like, I'm gonna go get a guy. I'm gonna go do it. It's not my normal forte, but I went and got Yasmani Grandal. I know he's got a spot in your heart for his home run he hit late last season. Another oh, reason yeah. to get a white. Another reason. Where's to get my White Sox hat? Yeah. Where is another, it? another reason to get a White Sox hat. Um, but like the batting average is always a concern with him. We've seen him have good averages, low averages. But what isn't a concern is the powers there. He'll toss in a couple steals here, not a ton. You're not, you're not, you're not drafting him for that. But the power's there. He's going to be hitting in the middle of that White Sox order, probably fifth-ish, sixth maybe, which is still very good in that order. Um, he can play first base on occasion. He can play DH on occasion. He's one of those catchers we talk about that he doesn't have to play just when he catches, which is always nice because Edwin's not there. Remember last year when they signed Yasmani? We're all excited, like, oh, he's going to play first base, or he'll DH, or he'll DH. Yeah. 
And then like we're thinking like he might play 155 games or something. Like it's gonna be sweet. And then they went inside Edwin. Edwin's not there anymore. Like we can go back to that storyline potentially. And, and at least it's in the discussion. So I was like, I'm going to get Yasmani. It gives me one solid catcher, and I can build from there. So I was happy with this uh, part of the draft here, going Tommy Pham, getting my guy, five-category outfielder, and then Grandal, a very strong catcher, in my opinion, to kind of get the, the that spot going on the roster. So I enjoyed the 7-8 spot actually quite a bit there. For sure, yeah. And, and kudos on that Grandal pick. I really do like that. I know it's earlier than it was, but, you know, based on my my prices, I, I have him as um, – you know, being well worth worth that even, um, you know, that's still a, that's still a steal based on the the value I have him returning uh, based on projections. So for me, this was an interesting part. I mean, I'm not a I'm for people who have followed the podcast for a while. I've never been a Goldie fan necessarily, a uh, big Goldie fan just because of the decreasing speed. But um, the cost right now is just. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's Sorry. ideal. I mean, yeah. I mean, just in the sense that like, I mean, he, there hasn't been really much skill regression that we've seen. We've seen some results regression, right? He's not getting the same results, but I think if you look kind of under the hood, like the metrics are supporting, you know, additional power. He's one year off of whatever 34 home runs or whatever it was that he hit. He's going to be in the middle of that Cardinals lineup. And while it's not going to be the greatest lineup in the world, you know, hitting third or fourth in, uh, in, um, you know, in any lineup is a nice place to be. And then when you combine that with the skills that I think he still possesses, I think I, I, I like that pick right there. Although I do like some some first baseman going later there. And then Altuve, this is the first time I've drafted Altuve, which is surprising because I think he's a tremendous, um, uh, he's, a tr- he's, he's tremendous at the cost that he's going at right now, I think. And, you know, I think we're really putting way too much stock in, in 2020 and, I've talked a couple times on the podcast that if you combine his postseason stats with his regular season stats, you know, it changes the narrative a little bit. And the the Astros are still going to have a really good top half of the lineup. So I just think he's he's really good. And so right here, even though I already had Merrifield um, at second base, I just felt like at this point I kind of decided because my traditional SP3 targets that go around this spot were already gone. You know, I just, you know, I considered Gaussman. I considered, um, well, I didn't really consider Musgrove going <laughs> way too early. Um, I considered some of those guys. I even considered Lamette a little bit just because he had fallen so far in this draft. But I just felt like the difference between those guys and maybe some of the guys that I could get around pick 180 or so just wasn't as significant as the difference in, in some of the hitters and the foundation that I could build you know, on the team. And so I ended up going Goldie and, and Altuve here, you know, making it the the 2016 all-star team um, right now. But I felt really, I felt really good about the base of, of the offense that I was building. And since it isn't an overall, I felt a little bit less pressure to really, you know, kind of add on. And in the past with the pocket aces strategy, I've talked about, you know, the, the fact that you really do need to hammer home, you know, a number of hitters in a row. And so like last year in some of the mains, I think, you know, my, my SP three was like Joe Musgrove at, at around pick 180, 190. And so I, do, I don't feel terrible about doing that. I do want to have that third starting pitcher in there, but given it isn't an overall, I didn't feel as much pressure to do that. And so I went with those guys. I was a little sad to see Wilson Contreras and Yasmani Grandal go there. I was hoping that either one of them or Dalton Varsha would get to me um, in the ninth. Um, you know, I, I do like all three of those guys just because I think, 
you know, with Varsho, I don't think he needs to play a full season to return the value. If you look at his projection right now, it's for 400 plate appearances, you know, and, and, and it, uh, you know, if he meets that projection, which I think is like 13 home runs and 10 stolen bases, then, you know, he's, he's about the 120th ranked player on my spreadsheet. So I still think he returns it there. And then you get to supplement that with another catcher that you can pick later on as a solid catcher three. But, you know, I was hoping that either Contreras or Grandal might get back to me in round nine and 10, but that wasn't to be so. It, it, it reminds me first on Varsha, there was news that came out today that uh, he might start in Reno this year, which mm-hmm. is interesting. So that's something to keep an eye on because they said it. And I, I like what they said is they only want to keep him up if he gets everyday at bats. So that's good. You don't want to waste a young prospect just sitting on the bench. So something to keep in mind for those drafting Varsho, keep an eye on that. Um, it reminds me now when I saw the rest of the Rizzo, Goldschmidt, Altuve picks there, I mentioned it to Grandall because the catchers were going, which was true. Like that really forced me to take him. But I remember when I was taking Fam, like I was taking Fam the whole time, but I had the idea in my head that Rizzo, Goldie, or Altuve would make it back to me because – they're the boring mm-hmm. but good player because I didn't have a second baseman yet. didn't have a first baseman. Like you mentioned, there's first basements later on you like, but I didn't want to have to be forced to take one of them if I didn't want to type thing. Like I want to, I don't want to reach for them, which I don't think I feel like I did when we get there. But I, I kind of like the idea of Rizzo or Goldie. Didn't happen. Altuve was there. Didn't happen. But ground all, I will gladly take. Um, rounds 9 and 10 now, I made one pick I really like, one pick I like, but I – I'm not sitting easy with, let's put it that way. But um, Tommy Edmond, uh, multi-position eligibility, uh, which I like a lot. He's the second base. We didn't get out two base. So we got Edmond in there at second base. Going to help you a little bit in every category, leading off for the Cardinals. We've talked about all those goodies there. And um, basically by the end of round 10 or 11, I feel like I've already locked up what I need for stolen bases that I don't have to focus on as much. And that was kind of a goal going into this because – you know, there's a lot of guys you can take, and I, you kind of did a lot of that too with your next few picks uh, to lock up some steals. Honestly, your next, um, your round 10 pick is the guy I wanted to take instead of the guy I took in round 10. But um, I'll let you discuss him in a minute. But Tommy Edmond, uh, I like that quite a bit. And then on the way back, I know I reached on him. I almost took Dylan Carlson and went two picks later, so it kind of made me feel a little justified. But what happened was after I took Edmond, I had some guys circled, steals guys. Well, Toby takes Buxton. He can talk about that in a bit. Then he takes Andres Jimenez, the guy I wanted to take. Then Victor, ah! Robles, yeah. then Victor Robles goes off the board by DiPietro. And I'm sitting there going, crap. Okay. Because if you look at the next like crew of outfielders and, and a lot of other positions, there's not much steals coming off the board the next couple rounds. So I went and grabbed Tavares. We talked about Leody Tavares. The upside potential there leading off for the Rangers. There's a lot of downside potential as well. Like he's a very big ceiling to floor gap player. Like that's I'm not gonna deny that at all. But the fact that he's gonna be leading off on a Rangers team that should not have an excuse to bench him at all, unless he's really, really bad. I'll take my chances with that. It's a DC. The other reason, like I talked to a guy, like someone on Twitter goes, What like they because the, the draft board's public. So someone said, well, what's Bubba doing taking Tavares in the 10th round? That's a, a stretch. I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But A, this board is full of stretches. That's for sure. And B, in a 50-round draft, I feel confident I can fill stuff in later that if somehow he has tanks, I can replace him. My next pick in round 11 we'll talk about was part of the contingency plan 
in this in this system. So um, I took Tavares. That might not pan out. Could be great. But uh, Edmonds Tavares gets me some speed I need and some other goodies in round nine and ten. What about you? Yeah, so for me, this was kind of interesting. I mean, I, I have never drafted Byron Buxton before, you know, um, and he fell. And obviously, like, 134 is still an expensive, you know, pick um, to spend on Buxton. But when I just look at what he's been able to achieve, and obviously he's been injured, but whenever he's been healthy, you know, he's he's performed recently. You know, the batting average has not been a li- the liability that you might expect with some of the plate discipline issues. Obviously, it's a smaller, you know, sample. But, you know, in 295 plate appearances, 262 and 135, 254. You know, you did that have that shortened 156 in 2018. But, you know, it's a long time from now. And he's hitting the ball hard. Um, he's got some pop. He's still stealing bases. And, while he only stole two bases last year, I just have a feeling that the Twins are going to be a little bit more active on the base pass this year because depending on who they add via free agency or, um, you know, calling up, I do think that they're going to need to have a little bit more speed. They're not going to have the same power, you know, well, whether Nelly resigns or Eddie Rosario. I'm just not sure that they're going to be as um, – as explosive of, of an offense as they've been in the past. And, and with that being said, I think Buxton may need to run a little bit more there. So again, you know, uh, an interesting pick. I wanted to maybe have, you know, at least one uh, Buxton on at least one of my teams. Um, and so I, I was able to accomplish that. And I really like Andres Jimenez, who was my pick at 138. I knew he wasn't going to get back to me if I let him go, just because, you know, I know that um, I know you like him. I know that, um, uh, Jake and Dave uh, really like him. So I was confident that he wasn't going to get back to me, you know, in at, at pick 164. And I love the multi-position eligibility, the second, third, short. I was hoping that Edmund made it to me. You know, as you know, I love him just like you do. Um, and, and I think Jimenez is a nice substitute for, for Edmund. And in some ways, I think there's maybe a high, there's a higher ceiling just because of, um, you know, the stolen bases. Now, you know, there was a back and forth on Twitter after I made the pick about, you know, whether he's going to start the season at at uh, AAA or not, you know, for Cleveland. I don't think so, just because he's already played that one full season. Obviously, Cleveland can do what they want to do, but I still think that they want to compete. I mean, it's not like they can't compete in the AL Central still with the team that they have. Um, and he's a really good, he's, he's a good player. When you look at his projection, 13 home runs and 21 uh, stolen bases, I believe, is the steamer projection. And that's in only 533 plate appearances, which would make him the 162nd uh, most va- most valuable player if he meets that projection. And so, you know, and, and so if he plays the full season, I think he beats that projection. I really do think that the speed is, is there. And I think Cleveland's going to be very active on the base pass next year. And he's got that multi-position eligibility, which is nice. And he fit a need of for speed, you know, right there where, where I felt a little bit, I felt like I wanted to go maybe with that position flexibility over an outfield slot at that point in time. Obviously, maybe a little bit of a boomer bust pick, but I think even if he starts out in the minors, as long as he gets those 500 plate appearances, I won't be too sad, especially with the depth that I have at kind of middle infield and corner infield as we, as we kind of, 
move through. So maybe um, maybe for this one, do you want to cover like the next chunk of picks, maybe the next five picks or so that you had, yeah. any that stood out to you as as being ideal? Because I know everybody wants to hear us go pick by pick here, <laughs> but uh, maybe some some of the trends a little bit uh, more. Yeah, no, I'll just like quickly go like I took uh, I, I said I had a contingency plan on Tavares. So in around 11, I went Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, for those that have followed me long enough, like Fam McCutcheon, those are like two of my guys. So if I can if I can put that stability on my roster, I'm there. And then I, I just kept it, – it, it's like a, a Bubba team, which you'd hope it would be. But I was getting sniped in certain spots. So, you know, and there's there's outfield runs. There was a few other runs. But, you know, I, I went and got Kimbrell for as many closers that were going off the board – I was happy to see him there in round 12 because with all the instability at closers right now, I'm pretty confident that's his job in Chicago. And he pitched really well in a later last season. So like that, got Chris Bassett, a pitcher I like as my SP4. Mentioned reaching on first base, because I don't think I reached for Reese Hoskins, but um, I like him a lot this year. So I grabbed Reese. And then the last one in this range here, Jordan Romano, who at the time around 15, I was super pumped on getting. And then Kirby Yates happened today. And so mm-hmm. now I'm not super pumped on that anymore in round <laughs> 15 because, um, you know, going after him, there's not a ton of closers that went right out of like Greg Holland. I still I think I might still rather have Jordan Romano than Greg Holland. But um, it, it, there's just a lot of kind of middle-tier pitching going on runs. There's a lot of kind of guessing on bullpens going on runs in this 10 to 15 range. And then, uh, I don't know, there's really nothing crazy trend-wise going off the board here. Like seeing Jared Walsh go where he went was kind of surprising to me uh, before guys like Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins, uh, even Christian Walker. Like I like Jared Walsh, but let's be realistic type stuff. So, yeah, I, I got a, three pitchers, two bats in that realm and just kind of helped fill, uh, filling out my starting uh, starting lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, for me, I, I was really excited. I got Michael Brantley coming back in the 11th. So really nice batting average. This is kind of a spot where I really want to hone in on batting average in a lot of instances, just because it's kind of the last bastion of, of batting average before you get into some more questionable profiles. So I was really excited to get Brantley and, and Anthony Santander is a guy that's growing on me just because I think the batting average skills are really solid. I think the power skills are solid. There's growth there. Um, I just, I'm liking more and more what he brings at this point in the draft you know, it's kind of a unique profile as we kind of, as we get here. It's it's almost a it's similar to like an Eddie Rosario profile um, in a lot of ways without necessarily having the same speed. And then I finally dipped in with my third pitcher in round thirteen. I got Drew Smiley. You know, a little bit of upside, some K's. I think when he pitches, he'll be really good. It's just a matter of how much he'll pitch. And then David Price has been falling recently, but you know, he's already said that he plans to pitch this year. There was some video of him pitching. He's working out. So that made me feel a little bit more confident getting him here. And I think if he does pitch, he's going to be really good on the Dodgers. Just, you know, I think he's solid for ERA or lower, you know, one, two, five whip or lower uh, on a really good Dodgers team. And I do think that with the year off, he can, he can provide a little bit of volume. Um, You know, he should be well rested. I was hoping to get Ryan Yarborough in round 15. But uh, our nemesis, Rob DiPietro, snagged him. Kick before me. I ended up going with Dallas Keuchel, who traditionally wouldn't be that interested in Keuchel. But I think for the team build that I had, just, you know, not really having, you know, a lot of depth. Uh, I think that Keuchel brings solid ratios. I mean, the whip is a little, it can be a little questionable, but he always keeps the ERA pretty, pretty solid. Uh, hopefully he can go, you know, 
he can be one of those uh, those guys that goes deep into games for the White Sox and with with Larusa because he doesn't necessarily have that. Um, you know, I'm just making this up. His third time through the order could be terrible, but as kind of a control guy who relies on those ground balls, um, hopefully he can get deep into games and maybe the. K per nine isn't as great, but if he can get me like 150 strikeouts this year, I think that'll be really solid. And then my last, uh, oh, that's actually, those are my next five picks. So, you know, an interesting kind of trio of pitchers there um, that I think helped helped make up a little bit in, in rotation construction, what I missed out in, in, in some depth earlier on. I love the lefty love you're giving there. That's beautiful. Smiley I didn't even thought matchup. about that, but you really okay. got to have those matchups in fantasy baseball. Yeah. You know, when so they good. bring the heavy, the lefty, lefty heavy lineup, you got to be ready for that. Yeah, you're all you're all on board. And it reminded me when you mentioned the Yarborough snipe before I took Hoskins, I was planning on taking Schwarber, and he got me there. So yeah, he's a, a crafty little guy. Um, uh, Sixteen through twenty for me, I went and got Nady Evaldi. Uh, it seems early, but if you look at the pitchers that were left on the board at the time, I actually felt kind of justified taking Nate Evaldi at that point. Um, you know, if you would have told me two months ago I'm taking Nate Evaldi in, in round 16, I would have thought you're crazy. Here we are. He's a guy that uh, he's had a sub-4 ERA last year. I'm more realistic, like 4-2-ish ERA. I'll be happy with tons of strikeouts, tons of strikeouts. And it's a Boston rotation that they're going to have to let him pitch. Like they don't have a choice. They they their, their rotation is so bad. He needs to eat innings up. So I, I like the Evaldi. I took Rowdy Telez, who I said earlier in the podcast. I love Rowdy this year. Everything screams go get Rowdy. And then they signed George Springer, which for now Rowdy's playing first base as long as Vlad Junior can play third. Which he plays defense at third base as well as Edwin Encarnacion did, and that's why he's got the nickname E five. So <laughs> keep that in mind. Um, and so that's going to be very interesting there. And then. Um, in round 18, I grabbed Aaron Hicks, and that's a guy that I think is going criminally too low right now. Um, and then maybe I'm in the minority here, but he had a very rough last season. He was injured off and on all of last season. Even when he was playing bad, the Yankees still hit him in prime spots in the early to middle of that batting order. He's going to do it again this year. 20-plus home run upside, decent batting average. If he's in those spots in the order, lots of uh, run production as well. So I like Hicks a lot at this point in the draft. And he'll even throw in some steals. And then uh, I picked 19, and a D.C. positional flexibility is crucial. Uh, so Joey Wendell is a guy that I love in these formats. Three positions he's eligible at. Um, he, he'll, he's he got a little speed and a little bit of pop. He, he's not going to be like an overall stud, but his flexibility is tremendous. He's going to pretty much play every day for the Rays no matter what. And then round 20, a guy I've been finding myself draft a ton pitching-wise, Spencer Turnbull. Uh, his improvements year after year has been great. He's just like uh, Dave Swain tweeted it out the other day. He's a pitch mix change away from being very, very good. So uh, I, I like Turnbull quite a bit. Hopefully he takes that next step again this year. But uh, this point of the draft's more about kind of getting a little bit of upside, but still some stability for me at this point. So I was pretty pumped with the, these picks. Nice. Yeah, um, for me, you know, my strategy throughout the DCs has been to kind of lean into the uncertainty around closers, so to target them later on in drafts. I started that out with Greg Holland, seems to have access to the saves in Kansas City, at least to start the year. You know, he did towards the end of last year. I think Kansas City will be a decent team this year in the AL Central, and so uh, I think, you know, you're just going for kind of role there. Uh, I was a little sad that my boy Yuli Gurriel didn't make it to me in the next pick. Rob DiPietro made sure of that. Thanks, Rob. Uh, but I did get Yadi Molina, who was my my catcher two target there. 
Again, I, I like the batting average that he provides while not necessarily hurting you in home runs. And he also provides a chunk of stolen bases, you know, which, which is nice um, there. So he's definitely, he's got a sign, but I think more and more the signs kind of point to him, you know, re-signing with the Cardinals um, at this point in time, which I think would be an ideal scenario. You know, they know each other well. I think he continues to get the majority of plate appearances, um, which is really nice. Was happy to get Carlos Santana in round 18. You know, he filled uh, a corner infield slot that I needed and, and a little bit of power. You know, early on, you know, I feel pretty good actually throughout the draft, pretty consistent with power. I think like the lowest, let's see, the lowest projection for any of my hitters for home runs. So I have um, Molina at 13 and I do have Jimenez at 13 and Wet Merrifield at 16, but no single digit guys. Um, and I just think Carlos Santana, while the average may be slightly problematic, you know, he's going to hit in the middle of that Kansas City order. He's going to play every day. He provides runs in RBI. You know, he's going to have some pop. I think it'll be really nice. Jordan Hicks is a guy that I've found myself drafting quite a few shares of, which I'm not sure how I feel about it. But I do think that he's going to be the closer in St. Louis. Every single time he's been healthy, he's been the closer. Health is obviously an issue. But, you know, two years ago when he was young, he was the closer. He started out in 2019 as the closer before going through Tommy John. Uh, from all indications, he's looked good. Uh, and I think in some mining the news, it sounded like he was going to be the guy if he was ready. And so uh, I'm going with him there. I also think that there's some later St. Louis Cardinal relief pitcher options that may also get a look at, at, at saves if he doesn't go. And so, you know, I didn't mind going there, maybe a little bit of a mistake. And then Justin Upton in round 20 is a guy that I've gotten pretty consistently when I need power late. You know, he showed really nice flashes of being his former self toward the back end of of last year. He's now got not a lot of competition in that outfield right now. And he's going to be hitting in a, in a nice little spot in the lineup behind some OBP guys. So excited to add him in there and in, in pick 20. Um, what about the rest of the, the draft for you? Any, any picks that kind of stand out in the next 10 uh, that you wanted to highlight? Um, I was happy to have Hunter Harvey fall to around 23 where, where closers were struggling quite a bit. Um, I liked that. And then just some late late pitchers that I was taking with Di Scafani and Stephen Brault. You know, Di Scafani around 28 going to the Giants. I think he's not going to get a Gosman-esque type change, but uh, I like the upside of, you know, leaving Cincinnati can't hurt anybody. So I think in a format like this, I, I like a guy like Di Scafani quite a bit. But other than that, it was just kind of filling in my spots for the most part. A uh, couple catchers, you know, Luis Arias for batting average assets. Uh, little things like a Chad Pender flexibility, Not, nothing too crazy then on out. Uh, and that's what you're going to see, you know, 15 teams, you know, 50 rounds, you're going to get deep in the player pool. So there's going to be a lot of just kind of taking shots here pretty soon. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting, like the roster construction and how DCs are different than your traditional leagues. I feel like my, I'm pretty consistent um, I kind of subscribe. I think I've gotten to the point where I subscribe to the Phil so, you know, uh, form of drafting DCs, which is focus on hitters, you know, um, early and then just pretty much all pitchers later on. So that's kind of what I did. I went for some guys who have access to consistent playing time, some speed, because I think that was a little bit of the weakness, you know, that I had in building my team. So with the JP Crawford, with a Robbie Grossman, and guys you should see, you know, every day at bats, pretty high up in their respective lineups. 
with a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Crawford, the, the power is a little bit of a question mark, but you know he had 33 runs, I think, in 200 or so played appearances last year at the top of that lineup, and I think that lineup is going to be a little bit better this year. Um, and then, you know, one of the things about, you know, right now and leaning into the uncertainty around closers, I already have Holland and Hicks. I added Jose Leclerc, who appears to be the closer in Texas, and then Chris Martin, who appears to be saving closing chances with Will Smith, you know, in Atlanta. So I have kind of four, four access to save and saves in four spots potentially right there. So kind of going in a bulk approach with the bullpen. Um, I got my first share of Trevor Rogers, who I really liked on the back, the back end of last year, the results weren't pretty, but some of the underlying metrics were fantastic. Two of my favorite late round targets, Miguel Cabrera and, and, and Gregory Polanco, and then adding some depth with Alex Reyes and Keegan Aiken. And now it's just going to be like, throw all your pitchers, you know, against the wall and see, see what sticks for the rest of the way. So how are you feeling generally about like the way your, your squad has, has filled in? Real quick, I wanted to mention uh, Cal Quantrill was a target that I really liked. So that, I like that pick a lot for you. And then Alex mm-hmm. Reyes. Um, and then also Keegan Aiken, literally like an hour before you picked him, I was DMing Alex fast about him. So that was like mm-hmm. creepy. And I was like, what in the world? But uh, yeah, for, for my roster, I really, I, I'm happy with it. Um, every, you know, at this point in the draft, we should all hopefully be happy with our teams. Um, I, I think it's just really balanced. I don't think I have like, if this was an overall, I'd have no chance. I'm very, very aware of that unless everything struck right. But um, I guess the biggest thing I, I could be concerned with, and it could it could bite me in the butt, is I don't have a ton of positional flexibility. I think I have like three or four guys. Um, but in the end, you pray you don't get too many injuries. That's just the way you're going to have to go about it. But I like it quite a bit. Now, like you said, it's just kind of I have a big queue of potential pitchers and then a couple other guys like the bats are just atrocious. And that's why you mentioned the Phil Dussomas that, and it makes so much sense in a 50 round draft. Um, he said like, you can get pitchers that are the fourth or fifth pitcher in a starting rotation. That's going to start every fourth or fifth day. But uh, hitters wise, you're getting like the, you know, platoon outfielders and stuff like those suck at that point in the draft. <laughs> so it's like, you like, you just don't want these things. Like I, I just picked Chad Pender in round 32 you know, that he's projected to start right now because no Marcus Simeon, but we know Chad Pender is. He starts like three days a week, maybe if it's a heavy lefty week. Um, and those are great weeks to play him. But do I expect to get a massive year out of Chad Pender? No. But you never know. <laughs> Things can change. So it's just weird. Like I took Brandon Crawford in round 29 because I want to shortstop the plays every day. That's where you're at in this draft. You're looking for every day at bats right about now. Like there's no world I've ever drafted Brandon Crawford in. I'm just like it was tough to pick, but. I sat down and I'm like, you know what? He's going to play every day. So let's just go. Um, so that's how I feel. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I feel pretty good. I mean, offensively, I feel great. I mean, when I look at the projections for my team, it's one of the better offensive teams I've built, I think. Um, in terms of goal of 80th percentile, you know, my my um, batting average is projected at 266. The goal is 268. Um, I'm 98% to the 80th uh, percentile goal on runs, 96% of the way, uh, on home runs, 103% of the way for RBI, and then 95% for, for stolen bases. So across the board, I feel pretty good about that. I do, I do feel a little weaker than I normally am in hitting depth. And I've got a number of multi-position eligibility guys, so I think that there's flexibility there, at least a couple that are, that are multi-position eligibility guys. So I feel pretty good about that, but I do feel a little vulnerable on the offensive side in terms of my depth. And then the pitching, 
I don't feel great about the pitching. I think I, I like the two aces, obviously, to start off with. I like Drew Smiley. I'd prefer him to be a four than a three. So it's kind of like I'm one back in a lot of my pitchers. Like I want my SP3 is my SP4. The guy I'd want for my SP4 is my, you know, or my SP5 is my SP4. So definitely some weaknesses, but feeling generally good. I'd feel worse if it wasn't overall just because of the pitching. You know, the lack, I think, of depth and the reliance on some guys having a little bit of breakouts. But overall, I feel pretty good. It should be a really fun league. I'm I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll we'll recap the end, uh, just kind of final thoughts on it next week when we we will be done. Wait, we'll probably be able to actually um, recap all those these for you then. But for now, the favorite segment of the show, listener questions. So we got some good ones this week, and we'll kick it off with our buddy Mike Curlin, Sleepy K. What do you like about Nolan Darvish? This is to you, uh, since you took Nolan Darvish over Castillo, who I took in round two. What do you like over Nolan Darvish in, or with Nolan Darvish over Castillo? Would you tear them together and chalk it up to preference, or is there something that concerns you with Castillo? So how do you differentiate those three? I think the major difference for me is, is the control. Uh, so both, um, both Darvish and Nola, you know, Darvish in particular, since he's developed the cutter, um, has just been phenomenal from a control perspective. I mean, walks had been a little bit of an issue previously, but not anymore. Um, so the whip is always, you always feel like it's going to be pretty respectable when he pitches. So I don't think Darvish and Castillo are in the same, um, you know, in, in the same category for me, at least, no offense, Bubba, to your, to your, um, your SP one, um, you know, and then with Nola, his control metrics, um, uh, like the walk percentage hasn't been great. I don't think the last couple years, but when you look under the hood, like the percent of pitches that are balls, he generates a really high chase rate. Um, and he generates some really uh, poor contact, like ground ball rate wise, Castillo does the same, but I think doesn't have necessarily the same control, um, you know, and, and so there, I guess there's been, um, so I guess Nolan and Castillo are fairly similar to me. I think Darvish is in a separate tier there, but um, I also didn't have any Nola at all. I, I would definitely always go Nola over Castillo, I think, but um, yeah, so they're close enough, but, but I like Nola more. Yeah, no, it, I have Darvish ahead of both of them pretty easy as well. So that's not a, a slight at all. Uh, Nola and Castillo, I agree, are pretty similar. I go Castillo over Nola because I think if the controller improves, which is a big if we have not seen yet, so it probably won't. But if it did, his ceiling is so much higher than Nola's. So that's where I got differentiate. But you're picking at straws. Like you said, they're so close. You look at the ADP, they're 21 and 24. They're the, the ninth and 10th pitchers off the board for a reason. Like they're not that different from each other. So I have no problem with that at all. Literally, if someone takes Castillo and Nola's there, I'd probably take Nola. Like it was just, it was just kind of how the cookies crumbled <laughs> around that loop. There was really, that was the next best thing. Cause I wasn't taking Scherzer and I'm just not a flaherty guy. So it was Castillo or wait for another pitcher, which really sucked. So I wasn't going that route. Um, Dave Petroziello. He asks in November, I was with you and Bubba and not liking Brandon Lau where he is going upon further review. I've changed my mind and I took him at pick 68 in a main event satellite yesterday, 30 plus homers at second base and maybe 10 bags and improving contact. He likes it. Um, in the month of January, 
in draft champions, Brandon Lau is going to pick 75. High of 62, low of 97, or vice versa, however you want to say it. Um, so what are your thoughts on Brandon Lau? Like, I pick 68. Are you still out on that? Um, yeah, I'm still out on it. I mean, a lot of it is the batting average. I just think there's huge variance in the type of profile that he has. And so I'm not, I'm not really, um, I'm not really interested in it. I mean, the thing is like, yeah, the home, home run production could be great, but I can get, you know, 25, 30 home run guys pretty easily, I think, um, you know, throughout the draft. And so I'm not super, super, you know, I'm not really focused on that. And then I think, you know, 10, 10 stolen bases, you know, seems a little high. He did have five and 327 plate appearances in 2019 and three in 2020, you know, projection systems project him for about for six. And so I just think that um, I think when you, when you strike out as much as he does, you see the inconsistencies that he's had and he doesn't necessarily have that carrying trait necessarily um, you know, outside of maybe power, which again, I, I think isn't a carrying trait that I'm really like looking at that closely. And I think the floor for batting averages is fairly low given the volatility in, in his profile. So again, you know, I can definitely see the case to be made for why to draft him. But for me, it's just a profile that, that I don't think is all that, um, you know, is all that, is all that special. And just from from like a projection, if you put his projection in, into uh, my valuations, he comes out as the 203rd ranked player. Um, and I think that's because the batting average is projected at like t- around 250. And, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I still, I still can't stomach it yet. I see the upside maybe in an overall. That's great and all. Satellite, maybe not so much. Um I also don't believe 30 home runs is a regular thing for him. I really don't like he showed the power, but then we saw last year when he slumped, even in the playoffs, like it, it, it hits a wall. Like it's not just like a minor slump. It's, it's bad. So that concerns me at that point in the draft. I'd be a, that's where I still steer clear of that. Especially when you get an Altuve like you did later in the draft, or you can um, get a Tommy Edmond. It's like, tell me what's so different about Tommy Edmond and Brandon Lau besides maybe 30, like in, in a year where he hits maybe 20 home runs, What's the difference between the two? Like, really? And that's where it gets interesting. So, something to think about. Um, ben 10 at breaking Ben underscore T asks, Toby, what are you going to do when Perez, Salvi, goes back to hitting 235 to 268? Quite the gap there. It's 68. That's a, a professional number there. With 20 homers, like he did his five seasons prior to 2020. Um, if you couldn't tell, he's, uh, I think he's being way overdrafted this year. Yeah. What's your thoughts, Toby? Um, I mean, the thing is, if he produces any of the seasons he produced when he's played, I mean, I'd t- I'm totally happy with that at catcher. I mean, obviously, you're hoping he doesn't hit 235, which is cr- his career low. He's projected at 262, which is probably a bit high. Although, you know, when you look at some of the stat cast metrics and stat cast metrics do regress, you know, I mean, his exit velocity you know, was terrific, barrels, career high. So he's still making that really solid quality of contact. And that 235 came on a 245 BABIP, which just doesn't seem, um, you know, it's it's way below what he's had throughout his career. So, I mean, if he hits 250 
and he hits me 25 home runs and he gets me 80 RBIs and 55 stolen 55 runs from, you know, a, the catcher. I mean, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally fine with that. Um, if he gets me that, then that means that he'll probably finish the season as a top three catcher, which, you know, again, I'd love for him to hit his ceiling, which I think is there in his projection, which if he hits that ceiling, according to my valuations, he's, um, he ends up being a top 25 player, you know, out of everybody. Um, that's, that's a risk I'm willing to take. I think it's, I think he's a, yeah, I think it's, I, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I don't think he's a 235 hitter. You, you said like the BABIP and all that goodies, and I'm with you there. Like, And he was also banged up. So uh, I'm going to say he's healthy, and we're ready to rock and roll. You get 20-plus homers, closer to 30, like you said. The, the projections love him. I don't see what's not to love about him. He's young. We talked about it before. Like that year off when he had surgery, that can't be a bad thing for a catcher. Like it really can't be. So when he's still super young, like, yeah, I'm good with Salvi as a catcher too off the board any day of the week. Uh, Todd Whitestone asks, question, did Bubba draft too many starting uh, stolen bases and Toby too few? Bubba has 116 stolen bases from eight batters, J-Ram, Baez, Pham, Edmund, Tavares, Kutch, Hicks, Wendell. Toby has 77 stolen bases from Mer- from five guys, Merrifield, Buxton, Jimenez, Bregman, Altuve. Is Toby, Toby more bullish on these five? And he used the steamer projections to get that. Um so basically, he says, you have five stolen base guys. I have eight stolen base guys. Did I have too many? Do you have too few? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think I might have a little too few, but it's not an overall. So I'm not as concerned. You know, based on on my um, spreadsheet that I have, I'm projected for 117 stolen bases with 123 being the 80th percentile goal. And so I feel pretty good about that. You know, I also drafted J.P. Crawford and uh, Robbie Grossman as two of my uh, early bench guys. And so that makes me, you know, um, feel pretty good about it. I I drafted a lot of guys that while they, you know, uh, there's a couple that have a pretty low stolen base total, but, you know, I have a lot of like Torres, you know, who's a five or six guy, Bregman, who's like a five or six guy, you know, Upton, Brantley, you know, those guys are all projected for about five. And so, you know, I need to look in maybe a little bit more depth to see whether I agree with that projection total. But, you know, with some of those guys hitting it, some of them hitting under, some of them hitting over, I think the potential for Jimenez to go, you know, a good chunk over that if he, if he gets to 600 plate appearances. I think those are, um, you know, those are, uh, you know, I, th- I think I feel okay about it. And I think I've added a little bit to supplement that. And I think there are maybe some guys later on in the draft who may be able to supplement that a little bit more, but I think out of all my offensive categories, I think stolen bases is definitely the weakness. Yeah. I might have too many, but part of my plan, as I mentioned here is when I took Tavares, if he pans out, it's gravy. There's also the concerns. That's why I was still kind of aggressive. Like if you take the 22 from him out of there, I'm sitting at 94, which now you're kind of more in a realistic pattern there. Um, so that there's kind of the, the caveat there with Tavares, you know, and he, he could be way more than 22. We've talked about that potential too. So I think I'm okay for now. The bright side is it wasn't just all rabbits. So it doesn't really crush me too much in that respect. Um, John Packa asks at mean guy one thoughts on Jordan Hicks. Is he going too high or too high for the uncertain closer situation? So you took Hicks. You also took Alex Reyes, who I like a lot. 
Um, so in the bright side of things, there's a couple other options, but you should have one of the two. So that's good. Um, obviously, you took Hicks, so do you think it's too high? Um, I, I mean, maybe, maybe. Um, I, it all depends. You know, I, I think the, the – the the cost you know the draft cost at like i think pick 260 or so i think is um i think that that's fine i mean if, if it doesn't work out then it doesn't work out but he was good like in the last season he pitched um you know the one thing that does concern me a little bit is, is that walks have been an issue and he's coming off with tommy john and that's normally kind of the last thing to um to come back but you know, I think the Cardinals situation is a nice situation for me because I think, you know, they've shown confidence in him before they put him in here. There's been some positive quotes coming out. And I think that that's, I don't know, it's a nice place to pitch. You know, the Cardinals always seem to make magic. It's a great ballpark to pitch in. And El Central is a great division to pitch in, you know, heading into this year. So I think there's a lot of positives, but, you know, when I think about it later on, I mean, the, the challenges at the time, it's like, you don't know who you're, who's going to be available later on. And LeClerc and um, Chris Martin, you know, I, I knew I was going to go after Chris Martin, but I didn't expect LeClerc to be there in the late 300s. And so if I knew he was going to be there, then maybe I wouldn't have gone after Hicks. But I think having four guys that appear to have some sort of access to saves is a good number in these DCs because in the DCs, you don't need to, you know, what you're kind of, the way I'm thinking about it is if, if I get lucky and I hit on a bunch of guys, then I end up with a bunch of saves, right? 60 to 80 to 90 or something like that. If, if, you know, if some of them hit and some of them don't, then I end up in kind of the 30 to 50 range, which is fine in a, in a DC. And then if I don't hit on any of them, well, I, I hopefully should be able to compete still with the way that I construct my teams. Um, and at least I'll have a lot of high skilled relievers later on in the draft that I can kind of plug in there and, and, and that's kind of the breaks. And, you know, and generally that's been kind of my philosophy recently is, is not to get too caught up in um, trying to win the overall in the DC, even though that's a big chunk of it. It's more about like the practice drafting, but then also like trying to win my league. Like that's what I'm focused on. And if I get lucky and I happen to be in that overall competition, you know, and then so be it, but saves is probably going to be somewhere where I'm a little, little weak in a lot of my drafts, unless I, unless I get lucky. The, um... The defending champion of the draft champions overall, Rob DiPietro, he did on a recent podcast of his. He wasn't trying to win the overall; he was just trying to win his league for three thousand dollars. He's happy with that, and you know, never you, you, you know you catch lightning in a bottle. It's a beautiful thing. Um, at B King eight one eight asks NFBC question: Looking to try out the solo shot next year? It's a thirty six man roster, and Fab once a month is the only difference from the main event. How does draft strategy change based on these parameters? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, with that, with those parameters, it's interesting because it's just kind of that in between a DC, a draft champion, so 50, 50 player draft and hold, and and kind of your normal NFBC roster of just having seven bench spots, no IR. I think the major difference is, you know, you have fab once a month. So Instead of maybe looking on a week-to-week basis for FAB, you maybe want to do a little bit more of a month-level month analysis of schedule. Like, how does this pitcher seem to be lining up? How do the hitting matchups within this, this given month? Maybe piecing together, like, some ideas, like maybe a certain team or a certain player, you know, that you can stream for the first two weeks and then the second two weeks, you know, another guy. So thinking about those types of strategy. 
but then also just making sure that you have depth at each one of the positions, you know, um, because you have a deeper bench, you're allowed to do that, but you want to make sure you have at least, you know, two, if not three guys that you, you can plug into that position to each position and feel pretty good about. So I think those are the major changes. I'm sure there's things that I'm not realizing that I'll kind of realize as the competition gets going. Um, but for me, that that's kind of it. It is nice. It is a little bit refreshing to not have to do that, that fab in depth on a weekly basis. So um, as usual on FBC, providing some, some nice products there. So I think the biggest thing is just the way that you build your bench and the strategy that goes into that, knowing that you, that you, that you don't have weekly fab, that you got to hold on to these guys for a month. Yeah, there's that. So like the position flexibility helps out a ton, like kind of similar to the DC idea. Um, and can you imagine though doing that fab once a month? So the amount of people you're bidding on and the different price points that you're used to playing, like that, I, it's nice to only do it once a month, but that one Saturday night would be wild. It's to try to figure that out. It's kind of the cut lines, what, twice a, twice a season or something. And you guys, you got guys going for like 600 bucks and stuff like that. It gets wild. So yeah, it could be cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe it won't be as nice as you think it will because you'll spend so much yeah. damn time that one, that one day on top of all the other fabs you're doing. You almost have to kind of pick at it as you, we go up to a type deal. Um, Aaron R asks, saw you drafted Glaber Torres who has second base eligibility on some sites, which is super intriguing. Could you go under the hood and explain some of the underlying metrics on why you like him? Thanks. Love the show. Yeah, I mean, I think with Torres, I, I think the example, I mean, number one, like the projection, you know, um, so Steamer has him at 269, uh, 32 home runs, 87 runs, 96 RBI and six stolen bases, which is very solid. Puts him about 65th um, on my spreadsheet in terms of valuation. So when he falls a little bit, then I, then I go after him. Um, he's always been a good hitter when he's played outside of last year, but even last year, you know, when you include, you know, in the postseason, again, very small sample size, but, you know, he hit 435, two home runs, five RBI, five uh, runs, two stolen bases. He improved in a lot of like skill metrics. His O swing was improved. His contact stayed the same. You know, I know that there was some talk about like, well, maybe he wasn't as aggressive as he normally would, but I like it when guys are switching, swinging on pitches at, at the plate. There was a little bit of regression like in the, in the, or a little bit of a dip in his hard hit rate, but max exit velocity was the highest of his career. You know, so we only hit 108 batted balls. His average exit velocity was right in line with where it normally is. He didn't get a bunch of barrels, um, but, you know, his ground ball rate went up slightly, but just around to league average. So, you know, again, I think he's an example where we know he was injured. You know, he's a very good hitter. He's still young. There's no reason to believe that he can't continue to hit. And you're getting essentially a three round discount from last year for exactly the same player, I think, with maybe just a, a very small sample size of of poor hitting. So I, I think I, I'm not concerned at all about Glaber. I think he's one of I think he's a guy that kind of falls into into me into this bucket of he's a good hitter. He's like a really good hitter. I'm not too worried about him doing poorly. And he contributes a little everywhere. Um so that's how I feel. I don't know about you, Bubba. I'm, I've been torn on him. He's a guy that last year I didn't want at all, so that panned out pretty well for me. But part of it was price point last year, and he's obviously going at a better price point this year. So that helps out a lot. So it kind of factors in if he does struggle a bit, you didn't pay a premium for him. Um, I do believe he's a better hitter than he was last year. I remember watching some of these guys on MLB Network breaking down a swing and everything, and 
And it's something that I would love to have the time to dive in on. So we talked about it at other positions, how it appears like just looking at Savant and everything, like they're less aggressive. And then there's this and that, like and you see the, the, the drop in production. And there was a really good article on Pitcher List about Joey Gallo. And I, please forgive me. I forgot who wrote it, but it was a phenomenal article. And he goes into the fact that Joey Gallo has actually improved his strikeout rate and um, I believe even his walk rate. He's chasing less and he's like swinging misses, like all these things. Each year it's gotten better and better, but his power decreased this last year. And he started breaking down um, the zones and the, the sluggings in the zones, the wobbles, like all these different things that some of these guys are meant to chase a little more. Like they need to keep aggressiveness. And they showed that with Gabriel Torres last year. On the, I think it was like DeRosa and Ripken and then were breaking it down. And he was laying off pretty much everything from the, like, not the belly button, but almost in between the belly button and the chest up. Like, he wasn't going completely down letters, but anything kind of up in his own, he's just laying off. And you think about a guy with a short porch, he just kind of pokes it the opposite way, the home runs. He gets all these, all these little minor tweaks. Um, he could have been hurt. There could have been a lot of things that just prevented him from doing it. So if he becomes the hitter he was before, it's a great pick. If he made a fundamental change and he's not willing to change back, we'll see how it goes. But he's a young player, and worst comes to worst, he's in the Yankees lineup. Like that's always a prop, a, a promising thing. A great price tag. Uh, I don't, I don't mind it anymore. Last year, I wanted nothing to do with it. This year, I'm cool with it. At, at where you got him at for sure. Marshall Witzberger asks, "Would you draft Cindergard, Severino, or Sale in a draft champions or a best ball?" And this is a great question because I've sat there their names and think to myself, "Hmm, like is this?" Is this something, you know, 50 rounds? Could I hold on to him till later? Syndergaard is the only one I've seen a lot of positive news on coming back in a couple months. Sale, a little bit of news. What's your takes on drafting those kind of guys? Because part of me, it's like you now have a 49-man roster for a while. But you know if they come back and give you even 100 innings, it could be premium. Yeah, I don't I don't have any of any three of them. So I can't tell you that I would draft them. Um, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not interested. I'm much more like, I guess I'm risk adverse in a DC because you think, oh, I have 50 players. That's a lot of spots, but with injuries and attrition just throughout a season, you know, you're, you're, you're probably your last 15 rounds, you probably have a 25% hit rate, you know? And so it's just, it gets a lot smaller, your rosters than you anticipate that they will pretty quickly. And so for me, um, you know, yeah, I, I don't want to, especially at those rounds where you're really trying to get either plate appearances or innings pitched or, you know, maybe a, a save guess, a save stab at some saves. I don't want to waste it on, on something that I won't necessarily get. But I'm also like fairly risk adverse when it comes to drafting. So, yeah, and um, I'm pulling up the, the January ADPs and you just got to think about it, where these guys are going off the board right now. And um, like Cindergard is going to pick 366, right? Like Chris Martin, you took right there. Uh, a couple guys in that range. You got Severino, he's going at 384, um, right around Michael Lorenzen, Dylan Cease. And then Chris Sale, he's going at 246. Ryan Yarborough, Jordan Hicks, Greg Holland. It, you, you're still paying a decent price. Like 360 doesn't sound like much, but in the DC it is because those pitchers you mentioned that are, have stable jobs. Plus, there's bats around there I didn't even look at because I was on the pitcher's page. So it you are sacrificing, like you mentioned, like the last 15 picks or so, 
those are like the break glass in case of emergency picks for the most part. Like you really don't want to have to rely on those picks if you don't have to. Maybe for like a, a week here or there, but not overall. So it makes it tough. Like I don't have them rostered in any best balls. I've done like six or seven best balls. I've done an MSBC 50, and now I've done this. I have none of them. So it's 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 tricky. But that'll wrap us up this week, Toby. Any final thoughts with the questions, the draft, anything? No, I mean, it's been really fun. Thanks again to Zach um, for pulling that together. It, it's been great. And, I mean, we're we're getting close here. I mean, we're we're close to uh, – to spring training, like less than a month to spring training. It sounds, seems like we're going to get 162 games, knock on wood. So, you know, it's, it's going to be here before we know it. And it's exciting to kind of see the draft board starting to reflect, I think, which something that's closer to reality, especially as players sign and you get kind of that movie, that movement up and down draft boards. Yeah. I figured late January, early February, we'll start getting the hot stuff really cranking up going into spring training. We're starting to get there. Um, and, it feels like there's been like no official announcement of the of talks, but they've been kind of hinting at the rule changes and this and that. So it feels like behind the scenes they're they're maybe doing something that like, that's probably impossible with baseball because they don't do that. But it feels like they're at least throwing flyers out now to get it ready. So that's a good thing. Like you said, full season would be amazing. I'd be just shocked with that. That'd be so cool. But uh, regardless, you know, we'll be imagine that 162 games. I'd be so jacked. And then if all things go well, maybe we can go watch a game in like August. Like, like, like you know, I like know. hold out hope. Just hold out hope. You know, you, n- you never know. But uh, Bubba, Bubba, in the ball, Bubba in the bat flip from the ballpark, you know. Oh, that would be, be outstanding. Cool. I'm in. Uh, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bleacher seats. I don't care. I'll sit. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll watch through the archway outside the stadium. Let's go. Um, you know, I've, I've never been to um, to whatever it's no. called now, Oracle. I've never, You've never been to Oracle. Never been. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, because it, it was a new stadium when I was younger, and we always used to go to the uh, Oakland Coliseum because of um, because my dad was a bit of a Red Sox fan, and so whenever the Red Sox would be in town, we'd come in um, and watch the games then. And so we really didn't. I used to go to Candlestick back in Candlestick the day. Was, you know, that's an experience. We, oh yeah, like um, gosh, yeah. And then uh, you know when the good the good Giants teams with Will the Thrill and Kevin mm-hmm. Mitchell and early Barry Bonds, you know um, those types of games. So yeah, that would be that would be it'll be a lot of fun to be able to go those and take the kids to them too. You know my kiddos haven't been really to to any games yet. So yep, one of these days we're getting closer to normalcy. That's the the right side of it all. Let's just keep plugging along, and we're almost there. But uh, you can check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm on Twitter at BDNTrick. And uh, we'll be back with you guys next Tuesday. Some more draft recap questions and who knows what else. But we'll be talking fantasy baseball. So you guys have a good one. Catch you later.
next better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. Because you'll feel protected no matter how the wind blows. All so you can keep enjoying the home of your dreams. And our expert agents can help you save up to 23% when you bundle home with auto. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.